Well, good evening, church. I mentioned this morning that uh, we're doing a different kind of a study tonight in this series on soul food, how we got our Bible and, and how to read it. It's kind of a modified title. Uh, I wrestled a little bit with the topic that we're going to look at. It's, it maybe is a little more uh, involved. I wouldn't hesitate if we were all together here on a Sunday night. I mean, I think I think over the years we've studied things together that I'm just saying in some churches wouldn't fly, and I think you're kind of used to it. But I think this topic is important. It has to do with, you know, we, we in one form or another, we carry these Bibles to church. There's uh, 66 books in this one book, 27 New Testament, 39 Old Testament, 66. Um, our Jewish friends have 27 less books in their scriptures. Our Roman Catholic friends have 13 books more than the 66 we have. So, so how do we get here? I mean, I, I think it's at least important once to go over this kind of an understanding. We carry this book to church. We call it God's word. We claim that it has this kind of authority over our lives. How do we know we have the right books? How do we know we have enough? How do we know we don't have too many? How do we arrive at this number? Because you bank everything in your Christian life on the truthfulness of God's word. And so I want to take some time tonight, and I'm going to read some scriptures that you're thinking, well, what does that have to do with this? And you'll see later on how important they really, really are. So that's the topic tonight. How do we know that these are the authoritative books? How do we know we have the right number? How did we get them? And, and the reason is, I said in the little announcement blurb this morning, there's an importance here because um, obedience is enhanced, I think, when confidence in the word is deepened. In other words, I think there's a spiritual side to these kind of truths and I've got three or four points, so buckle up. You might want to take some notes, and let's, uh, let's study this together. Here's the first point. The Bible Jesus used and endorsed included the books we have in our Old Testament. That's the Bible Jesus used. The Bible Jesus used and endorsed included the books we have in our Old Testament and no more. And this isn't irrelevant to your Christian life. I mean, the point I want to make is it's just a starting point. I get it. But I think it's an important starting point. And I think you'll see that if you work hard at following the argument here. The point I'm making here is that the Jewish Bible of Jesus' day, the Bible Jesus studied, memorized, preached from, quoted, it contained, hear me, exactly 24 books. You're thinking, wait a minute, you said 39 in the Old Testament. Let me explain. So the Bible Jesus used had these three sections, the law or the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. Now, of course, Jews don't call their scriptures the Old Testament or the Old Covenant because as far as they're concerned, there's no such thing as a new covenant. Their books are just the scriptures, period. So they don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah, nor the New Testament record of Jesus, his life, 
and his work. They don't recognize that at all. Here are the books of their scriptures. There are 24 of them, I said. Let me explain. They include, this is important, they include all 39 books of your Old Testament. Here's how it works. This isn't important except for general information. The Jewish scriptures include the Torah, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then they include the prophets, that's Joshua, Judges, Samuel, first and second in one book, Kings, first and second in one book, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, all 12 books in one. And then finally, the writings. So Psalms, Job, Proverbs, Ruth, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, Esther, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, one book, First and Second Chronicles, one book, and that equals, see, 24 books. The same as you have in your 39, they have 24 books in total. Now, all that is just background. There is something you need to take note of. If we were gathered here together, I'd walk out onto that little podium and I'd say, I'm going to say something now and you're not going to see any relevance to it. But I'm asking you to hold it in your mind because in a minute or two, you're going to see that it's more important than you might think. So I'm going to say something now and trust me, something important will come out of it in a minute or two. For now, just make a a mental note, okay, a little post-it in your mind to the fact that while the books are the same in the Jewish scriptures and our Old Testament, there's a very important difference, and it matters. The order of the books is entirely different. Your Old Testament, maybe you have to look it up in the table of contents to see it, but it ends with the book of Malachi, last book in our Old Testament. The Jewish scriptures end with the book of Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, one book. Again, I'm just mentioning it now, and I'm asking you, please, just remember the different order of the books. Point number two, remember that fact, though. The Bible Jesus used and endorsed did not contain any of the apocryphal books, the 13 books that our Roman Catholic friends include in the Scriptures. They include those 13 books. They're written after the close of the Old Testament, in the era between the Old Testament and the New. Today, usually referred to as the time of Second Temple Judaism. Well, why don't we consider these a part of inspired Scripture? I think we need to have an answer to that question. So clearly, they aren't included, weren't included, and aren't included in the Jewish Scriptures that I just listed. The 24 books of the Jewish Old Testament, same as the 39 in ours, The apocryphal books are not included. We've already seen the 24 books that are included there in different order from our 39. The apocryphal books include 1st and 2nd Edres, Tobit, Judith, the addition to the book of Esther, the wisdom of Solomon, Ecclesiasticus, Baruch, the letter of Jeremiah, the prayer of Azariah, Susanna, Bel, and the dragon, the prayer of Manasseh, and First and Second Maccabees. There's the 13 books. 
So now we come to something interesting. The reason our Old Testament is ordered in a different sequence from the Jewish scriptures is our Old Testament, stay with me here, our Old Testament follows the order not of the Hebrew text, but the order of the Greek translation of the Hebrew text, what's called the Septuagint. So, and the Greek Septuagint, hear me, it originally included the apocryphal books. Now think about that. What that means is, it must have been a very conscious decision to remove those books and return to only those included in the Hebrew text. And I'm arguing here that that was a good decision. I'm arguing that they did the right thing when they edited the Old Testament down to the original 24 books of the Hebrew Scriptures. We say, well, that's great, Pastor Dom, but who's to say who's right? I mean, is there any biblical basis for my claim that the apocryphal books shouldn't be included? Or is it maybe just a matter of uh, religious tradition, taste? Who could possibly know? How can we know with any degree of scriptural certainty? Okay, now, remember what I said a few minutes back. Go back to when I asked you to remember. Remember what I asked you to remember about the order of the books in the Hebrew text. The text of the 24 books ending in, do you remember? First and Second Chronicles. I asked you to remember that and just mark it. It's because when that's remembered, it sheds a very important spotlight on some important words from Jesus himself about the books that ought to be included in the Old Testament and why the apocryphal books are not. Jesus actually addresses this. Stay with me. Get your Bible out and look at Luke chapter 11, 49 to 51. Luke 11, 49 to 51. Jesus speaks. Luke 11, 49. Therefore, also, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets, circle all, the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world, so that's the starting point, up to the last one, all the prophets. The blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. Now you're going to get an explanation. Who did Jesus mean when he used that phrase, all the prophets from the beginning of the world? 51. From the blood of Abel, remember, Cain killing Abel, to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, Jesus says, it will be required of this generation. Now, put your finger under those important words in verse 50, the blood of all the prophets. And, and Jesus tells us he's very deliberately including all of the prophets in his remarks. And then he does something really important. He defines who he means by all the prophets. He bookends all the prophets. Starts with Abel, the very first one to die. 
It's recorded in Genesis chapter 4. That's the first book of the Hebrew Scriptures, like ours. And then Jesus bookmarks the other end. He lists this man called Zechariah, 51, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Okay, now stay with me here. There's a problem. Zechariah isn't the last prophet to be martyred chronologically in the Old Testament. And yet Jesus cites him last. Chronologically, the last prophet to be killed in the Old Testament is a man called Uriah, the son of Shemaiah. Look at this text. It's in Jeremiah. You get this story told, Jeremiah 26, 20 to 23. Here is actually chronologically the last prophet killed. Jeremiah 26, 20. There was another man who prophesied in the name of the Lord. Uriah, the son of Shemaiah from Kirith-Jerim. He prophesied against this city and against this land in words like those of Jeremiah. And when King Jehoiakim, that's important, with all his warriors and all the officials heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. When Uriah heard of it, he was afraid and fled and escaped to Egypt. Then King Jehoiakim sent to Egypt, he's going after him, certain men, Elnathan, the son of Akbor, and others with him. And they took Uriah from Egypt, brought him to King Jehoiakim, who struck him down with the sword and dumped his dead body into the burial place of the common people. Here's the last one chronologically, the last prophet to be killed, Uriah. Jehoiakim had him killed. We know Jehoiakim reigned from 500 to 600 BC, somewhere in there. And that's long after the death of Zechariah that Jesus cites as the last prophet. So, so why does Jesus choose the death of Zechariah to close this season of all the prophets? He puts Abel at the beginning, Zechariah at the end, and now we're ready for the reveal. The reason he does this is very important because the story of Zechariah's death is found in 2 Chronicles. Remember the last book of the Hebrew Scriptures. That's where Zechariah's account of his death is found. 2 Chronicles 24, 20 to 21 and then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. And he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they conspired against him. And by command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Remember, remember. Jesus' Bible did not end with Malachi, the scriptures Jesus used, the Old Testament. The Bible Jesus used ended with 2 Chronicles. And so here you have a ringing, resounding endorsement from Jesus and a limitation of the sacred text to these bookends of Abel in Genesis and Zechariah in 2 Chronicles, the last book of the Jewish Old Testament. And so what I'm saying is Jesus didn't recognize in any way, shape, or form any of the apocryphal writings. 
He clearly places these limiters on all the prophets whom they would include. And it lines up exactly with the Hebrew Scriptures. Jesus very clearly says, if you include all the prophets, you will begin with Genesis, and you'll put an end to it in 2 Chronicles, and that includes exactly the books, the 24 books of the Jewish Old Testament text, and exactly the same 39 books of your Old Testament. It's true that there are other writings that are referred to and quoted in the New Testament. Sometimes these writings include pagan poets, Acts 17, 28. Sometimes intertestamental writings, Jude 14 and 15. But, but these writings are never, ever quoted and called Scripture. That's very different from the way the Scriptures are referred to when the authority of doctrinal belief and instruction in truth is being discussed. I mean, Jesus claimed consistently that the Bible he studied was the original Hebrew text with the same three divisions as the Old Testament books. I get that in Luke 24, 44. Then he said to them that he is Jesus. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law, the prophets, the Psalms must be fulfilled. And you get those same three divisions. Almost all scholars agree that that third Psalms is the division called the writings because it's by far the largest and dominant part of the writings. And then, and then see, see these words, we're wrapping up now. See these words from Paul to Timothy on the value of being trained in the scriptures. 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture, 16, is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. So Paul knew there was an accepted body of texts collected, put together, that by this time, Timothy would recognize as the sacred writings, 15, and the scriptures, 16. Those are the only terms Paul had to use, and he expected Timothy to know that collection already existed. Those are the 24 books that Paul acknowledged, just as Jesus acknowledged as the Scriptures. So we've just, we've just gotten into this, just gotten our feet wet. We're just scratching the surface of this topic. I know it's a little different, might be a little dense, but I'm hoping that by the time we're done, every person in Cedarview Community Church will be able to explain to anyone who asks why we call this book that we carry to church God's Word that there are solid reasons for building our lives on it. We've just scratched the surface, reaching the, the Old Testament canon. But you can already see God at work. Jesus, God the Son, that's who, that's who Jesus is. 
God the Son gives his assessment and endorsement of exactly the books you have in your Old Testament. These truths matter. What, what do you hear when you read your Bible? What do you hear when someone teaches and unfolds a biblical text? I mean, you might, if, if you haven't thought it through, you might just be inclined to hear the religious voice of your parents or your church's belief, some kind of tradition, some moral advice. But, but do you hear God speaking? Do you hear, do you hear God speaking the way Jesus endorsed these scriptures? There's nothing optional in God's word. Let me wrap up with this text. I've always loved it. And I'm on the last page of my notes, so don't worry. Deuteronomy 30, 19 to 20. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. This is, by the way, Old Testament scripture that Jesus endorsed. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days. This has never changed. This is always what's at stake Whenever God's word enters any situation in my life, in yours, in our church, just in case we forget, God tells us what the best choice is. There's A, there's B. By the way, choose B, choose life, that you and your offspring may live. When you ignore God's word, you unravel your own future. When you know the truth, and I think, I think understanding how we got these books, and understanding why you can bank on Jesus endorsing these books in the Old Testament canon, and we'll study the New Testament as well. Then you start to realize this, this, uh, this is foundational in terms of obedience. We have no other revelation from God like this. God bless the church as we continue in this study. Let's pray. Thanks for your word. We say it all the time, your word. Thank you that it's verifiable, credible, absolutely true. We have the words of God speaking to our hearts, and we treasure it. And for however long we can't meet together, we do have the same book. We can study it together. We can apply it to our hearts. We can gain strength and food from it for our souls. Do that by your spirit. Do that in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We love you, church, and love one another. Stay tuned for our prayer time now.